Hi, I'm Dr. Chuck Betters. I want to welcome you today. In the studio with me is my wife, Sharon, and Tom Stewart, who is the author of The Broken Scout. Now, you know, on the back flap of Tom's book is this statement, the riveting true account of a vulnerable young boy who endured a decade of sexual abuse throughout his childhood by his scout leader. Now, Tom's story is not easy to hear, and I expect that this interview won't be easy to hear. But it's one that gives hope to anyone shattered by the abuse of those who should have protected and loved them. Tom, I want to welcome you and thank you for sharing your story as a means to showcase the hope and the healing that can be experienced no matter how broken a person may find themselves. Tell us and tell the listeners a little bit about your life right now. Let's, let's get up to date. Your life right now, your family, your work, etc. Well, I remarried, and I have an amazing wife, Renee, who is actually the author of The Broken Scout. She's the ultimate treasure in the darkness, and she has uh, helped me immensely, especially after losing my younger son uh, three years ago. We were uh, married in July of 2013. It's been uh, an amazing journey uh, with the book and with my healing in a lot of different areas. Um, I'm an engineer at Boeing in uh, Everett, and once again, another area where God turned evil into good. I actually do research on eliminating carcinogens in the workplace at Boeing, uh, some of the same chemicals that caused my cancer. And so, once again, God is working miracles in that area. Uh, we have a, a blended family. Um, she has four wonderful children that I call children, and um, my sons and daughters. I'm very grateful for them. Um, my older son is uh, still struggling with drugs, but I, uh, I pray that uh, God will release him from his addiction eventually. And then I have a younger daughter, Becca, who uh, our relationship has been very strained, which will probably come out in the interview, but um, I believe very much in redemption. We're going to take a little travel log through your life. Uh, <clears throat> recently, I was asked a question about why some people seem to have more pain and brokenness and heartache in their lives than other people do. And uh, some people seem to go through life unscathed. And as we t as we tell your as you tell your story, I think our listeners are going to pick up on the fact that there's been a lot that has happened in your life. But why don't we start with why did you write the book, The Broken Scout? Why did you write that book? I think there's a variety of reasons. Obviously, it's helped me, you know, in my healing process. Uh, with all the the trials that I've been through, I'm at you know peace with my my childhood. I, I would say for the most part, losing Benny has been uh, extraordinarily challenging. So writing the book, you know, has been in memory of him. Uh, he died of a heroin overdose three years ago this uh, this past weekend, August 11th, 2014, and his death has really been a catalyst in uh, telling my story. Obviously, we're we're speaking out against the effect of divorce on, on children, especially teenage children. 
Uh, in Benny's case, um, divorce plus drugs equal death. We're also, I guess, primarily trying to give, well, everybody hope and encouragement, uh, especially abuse victims, that God will, in my estimation, turn evil into good for the saving of many lives. I've been very blessed. It's been very concrete in my life, maybe because I'm an engineer and uh, <laughs> maybe I'm a slow learner. So I, I think no matter what we go through in life, there's, there's purpose in our pain. And I believe our, our highest calling is to uh, help others. And we're not going to be able to do that unless we have compassion. And we're not going to have compassion unless we go through trials. And deep down, as hard as it's been, it's an honor and privilege to suffer for Christ. We're all going to suffer for Christ at some level if we claim Him as Lord and Savior and are very serious about our walk. You were abused as a child. How old were you when the abuse started? So I was eight. My uh, assistant scoutmaster had groomed me for a couple years um, from about age six to eight, and then uh, the abuse started when I was eight, when I joined Cub Scouts. And your case eventually ended up in the court system, is that correct? Yes. Uh, miraculously, our case actually went before the Washington Supreme Court, and our case unveiled the perversion files, the confidential files, which the Boy Scouts had held secret for 100 years on predators and their organization. And through, uh, quite frankly, um, the Catholic Church movement gave my brother the courage to talk to me, and I'm deeply indebted to my brother for helping me to break my silence. And it's obviously a team effort, but most of all, I wouldn't be alive today without God. This was a, a court that ruled in your favor, or was there a settlement, or what, what happened? So the Washington Supreme Court ruled in 2006 that the Boy Scouts would have to hand over the perversion files to our lawyers. Our lawyers were able to uh, catalog uh, the information. The information was horrific uh, in the files. Eventually, we would settle in March of 2007. The, the files would have to go back to the Boy Scouts, but we wouldn't settle unless we could tell our story and help other victims. And then because of our case, our landmark case, there was one more case in Oregon. And ultimately, that led to the Oregon Supreme Court ruling in 2012 that 20 years of the perversion files would have to be released to the American public. And that's when God truly did the impossible, that even our lawyer said that to make any headway on this would be nearly impossible. How long did the abuse go on? For about a decade. It started when I was eight. It started with um, oral sex. Pardon me, but it's that's what happened. And that's uh, that's when I was in Cub Scouts. And then when I joined Boy Scouts at a, in, at age eleven, um, that's when our scout leader really started to reel me in with the promise of taking me to Eagle Scout, uh, the promise of earning merit badges, and each merit badge cost me dearly. I was sexually abused at different locations for each merit badge. And then when I was about 14, uh, that's when the sodomy started. And that's when he threatened to kill me and my family if I ever told anyone. And I was sexually abused at gunpoint on several occasions. And only by 
the grace of God did I make it through four years of sodomy from uh, 14 to 18. Uh, Tom, I really appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability. And um, as you know, we share the loss of our sons, um, our son Mark um, and your son Benny. So there's a, a real connection here with our families. And it's horrific for me to think of you as a young child being mistreated this way. And I really appreciate that one of your purposes in telling your story is so that other lives can be saved. And in fact, your lawyer wasn't your, your, your lawyer's theme. How did that go? Yesterday's children saving tomorrow's children. Yes. Uh, what a powerful, powerful statement. Yesterday's children saving tomorrow's children. So there are people listening who maybe never have been impacted by abuse, but they have children, and they're wondering, how did this um, predator pick you? Uh, why do you think you were so vulnerable to him? So as it turns out, I grew up in a perfect home setting for a predator, a neighbor to prey on my brother and I. And I think, first of all, it starts with, in our case, a dominant mom uh, she was mentally ill. Uh, it was pretty much her way or no way. Um, my dad was passive and pretty much an absent workaholic. So we were really starving for a male role model. Uh, and also, just in general, we were loved for what we could do, not who we were. So it was all about accomplishments. So we were really starved for the right kind of love and attention. And the analogy for uh, pedophiles and how they prey on boys and, and girls too, but is a wolf circling sheep, and they know the ex the weakest sheep to prey on. And for my brother and I, we were the weakest boys. And and then it starts out, you know, for me from like age six to eighteen, uh, six to eight, excuse me, starts out with grooming. And then eventually it goes into brainwashing. Initially, it's kind of you know fun to play doctor, you know, when you're little. And then uh, once again, it's someone showing us attention, even though it was you know not the proper not proper attention, obviously at times. But and it's crazy. I would rather have been with my scout leader being sexually abused than my mom because if I could endure a short period of time with the horrific sexual abuse, the rest of the time was, was good. But m with my mom, it was constant verbal and emotional abuse. One of the things that um, it seems like an oxymoron uh, when you think about the abuse that you were experiencing and yet you were a role model of a very successful teenager. Uh, you're, you did extremely well in school, you were an athlete. How, how did that happen? Well, I think you're right, thank you. I definitely poured myself into sports and music and academics. Ironically, my parents took us to church every Sunday amidst the horrific abuse, and that obviously saved my life. I had an extraordinary amount of time with God as a boy, which is kind of unusual because I was alone all the time. My brother and I were, were somewhat close, but sadly, home was the last place I wanted to be. And I knew that school and you know playing sports and whatnot was was safe. That was the only safe place I had from my scoutmaster and mom. 
you know, it was really miraculous that I never got into drugs or alcohol or pornography. Um, I think being an athlete obviously helped as far as, um, you know, staying away from drugs and alcohol. Um, but I, I know that so many young people that go through this slip into the into drugs and alcohol and depression. God gave me an extraordinary way of of blocking out the trauma that I could be sexually abused at gunpoint on a Sunday and go to school like nothing happened, even though obviously my soul was deadened and I was a mess inside. Um, it didn't didn't really come out until I was uh, forty. Talk a little bit more about being that child. Not necessarily when you were eight to ten, but maybe as a preteen and as a teenager, you, I am sure, knew that what was happening to you was not right. And what recourse did you have? I, I know you said he held you at gunpoint and what have you, but at what point did you realize this has got to stop? I think, like I said, I was so used to blocking things out. I think because he threatened to kill, maybe not even so much me, but threatened to kill my family, you know, as dysfunctional as they were, I didn't want something to happen to them, especially my brother. That was really, you know, what kept me silent, you know, and obviously my brother and I are, you know, pretty big guys. And I think what's really interesting is, you know, our abuser is, you know, is actually much smaller in stature, but when they, when it starts out at a young age and then you're eventually threatened, it's mind control. And obviously my mom was <laughs> a lot smaller than me. And so, it, you know, physical stature doesn't mean anything. It's all about mind control. And I think it's, uh, we were never allowed to say no. We were never allowed to challenge authority. And, and of course that went with our scoutmaster too. I, I think it's a, it's a very dangerous bond uh, that can develop between a boy and the you know, any youth leader, but especially a scoutmaster when the dad is absent, that they become dad, they, they become really God. And um, I know that's been such a struggle with the Catholic Church abuse victims. And really, I'm very grateful that I was able to go off to college at age 18, because I knew at that point that I would be able to get away from the abuse. But you know, before that time, it really wasn't an option because of the, the threat of killing my family. What is the outcome of that scout, that scout leader? What's happened to him? Well, criminally, nothing. Um, it was, you know, beyond the statute of limitations. It's really ironic what God has done in my life. And actually, it may sound ridiculous, but I, you know, do feel sorry for him, that I believe God has a a wonderful plan for each and every person on this earth. and But he gives us free choice. And he, Bruce cho chose evil, but I knew that God would turn that evil into good for the saving of many lives. Um, obviously, he lost, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars in the lawsuit, but I, I guess that's a small... He lost, actually, the house that we were abused in. Ironically, it became a rental, and that was uh, seized in the lawsuit the very house that we were sexually abused in. So once again, God turned evil into good. But I think he's had a, he's had a miserable life. And probably, you know, I don't know if he was abused as a boy, but I, I believe that, you know, there's, I don't think there's too many people that, you know, deep down want to hurt children like he did. 
Um, and uh, so probably something happened in his life. Uh, I know my, my parents, you know, my mom, I don't think wanted to be the way she was, so abusive. She lost her mom when she was 13, and maybe something else happened in her life as well. So I think it's a, I think one of the messages is, you know, to stop these generational curses. I believe in generational curses and that we need to, uh, you know, stop, stop that. And um, I'm grateful I was able to, uh, you know, stop that with my children. I maybe went a little bit too far the other way, you know, maybe not being quite as much of a disciplinarian as I, as I could have been. But I think when you have a real harsh childhood, um, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be just the opposite with your children. When um, we lost our son, Mark, uh, we had three living children uh, still at home. And one of the things that we learned is that uh, children who experience a life crisis, a terrible life crisis or loss before the age of 18, typically uh, do not start processing that grief until around the average age of 40, which of course, was good for us because to know so that we could encourage our children to start processing as painful as it was to walk through the loss of Mark, to be willing to talk about him, to be willing to feel the pain of um, the grief and the loneliness and all of that. But there are certain things in their life, for instance, when, um, when they were married and he wasn't there, when they had their first baby, they each one of them said suddenly they they realized the grief that mom and dad had experienced in ways that they could barely stand to think about. So I think about you and that you were able to uh, go on with life. You graduate with honors. You went to college, even though you were diagnosed with a life-threatening cancer. You still graduated un unbelievably well. Uh, you're a chemical engineer. Somehow, and I don't I'm stepping into waters I don't really understand, but I know that the brain somehow puts that kind of pain away. And uh, I believe that there's research being done that says the heart, the brain is, it, it's actually kind of like it breaks something in the brain. Um, that until the person is old enough to be able to bear it, they, can, they, they are able to push it aside. And yet it still impacts their life. So up until that average age of 40, they're still making life decisions pushed through the grid of unresolved grief and sorrow and brokenness. And I know from your story that it wasn't until you were older that you began to pull this garbage out uh, and start looking at it and dealing with it. So speak to that time of up until that point, what kind of an impact did this abuse have on your life? So I'm definitely a type A, A-cubed <laughs> personality. I, I think one of my downfalls was, you know, keeping so busy that you don't, you don't stand still, you know, be still and know that I am God. I am still really learning about that. Um, so I would tend to really push through things. Of course, that came from, you know, my mom and pushing me to be the best and everything. I think interestingly, the mother wound that I had was was very deep. I probably ha I had a lot of different wounds, and I, I think the mother wound uh, made me very needy with women. That the first woman that you know came along, you know, she made you know my first wife was you know good in some ways, not you know, not good in others, but 
that the first woman that gave me any attention, you know, I would tend to glom onto. I think it's interesting after this Catholic Church Abuse Victim Conference that other victims mentioned being loyal to a fault, and that would be me, that I've never broken up with anybody here in my entire life because I've been on the other end of severe betrayal so much that I could never do that. And, you know, that I guess that can be a plus or a minus. Being in groups was difficult for me unless I was the leader. You know, I was the leader of my boys, you know, sports coach and Boy Scouts. Unbelievably, I was Boy Scout leader of my boys. I still believed in the program that much, and that if I was the leader, my boys would be safe. But I, I tend to, I don't function real well in groups unless I have a very defined, defined role. Even at work, you know, I, I was so used to isolating myself and studying by myself in high school that I have trouble with a lot of extraneous noise. And there's definitely trust issues. Um, although I think with women, you know, my neediness kind of overcame, <laughs> you know, trust issues that I might have had. I, you know, give all the glory to God. I have never, and this is no pride intended or anything, but never smoked a cigarette, never been drunk. It's just, you know, I think uh, when I was in college and could have gotten in a lot of trouble, I had cancer. And so I was sick a lot and stayed away from all the harmful things. And God has really, really protected me. But I think it's it's taken a while, you know, for things to come out. And once again, I give my brother all the credit on uh, helping me to break my silence at age 40. How did winning the court case in uh, Washington, how did that uh, help you in the healing journey that you're on? I think, obviously, um, it was the ultimate God turning evil into good, Genesis 50-20. Um, I've been very, very fortunate, and I know in some people's lives it's not as concrete how God's, you know, turned evil into good. I've been very fortunate, like I said, probably because I'm an engineer and I'm a slow learner <laughs> um, on life issues that, uh, you know, I could see the horrific evil that happened in our childhood. Once again, I believe because, you know, Bruce chose evil, that it, it did turn into good, that our case would go before the Washington Supreme Court, that the Fifth Estate, the Canadian version of 60 Minutes, did a story on us, and Boy Scouts of Canada, you know, will never be the same. All victims came forward, and that with, with the release of the perversion files, that um, we would be able to save, you know, help save generations of boys to come. Sadly, it's still very prevalent, the, the predators in the Boy Scout organization today, but the front of the Boy Scout handbook has youth protection training section, and it's been greatly enhanced, you know, because of our efforts. Once again, I, it was only by God's grace that I would even be alive to, to tell my story. Have you forgiven Bruce? I believe as much as humanly possible. During our depositions, they brought in Bruce across the table to sit and intimidate us. And I think my brother, my brother's a lot bigger than I am even, I think my brother wanted to kill him, which is natural. We had another man that joined the lawsuit that uh, wanted to wanted to kill him too. Anger has never been my thing, and um, it's probably probably a good thing. The Holy Spirit really revealed to me that once again that uh, I needed to forgive Bruce. And at the end of 2015, I went to his house and uh, forgave him face to face, and he was less than cordial. 
Um, but you know, it's not about not about him. It's about releasing me and setting me free so I can help others. I think that obviously the first part of forgiveness, well, for abuse victims, you know, we have to break our silence. We also have to let it go. Um, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That you know, the Lord did allow this at some level. He gives us free choice. I think it's way too complicated for the human mind to, you know, figure this out, which engineers try to do, and to no avail. I think also that we have to, you know, pray a blessing. I, I probably prayed for Bruce thousands of times, and that is really, really hard. I think that's um, maybe the final step in uh, forgiveness. Back up a minute. You said that you went to see him. You actually saw him face to face to forgive him. You want to you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Yes, it was uh, December thirty first of twenty fifteen, and it kind of it's outlined in the book and uh, kind of the way God speaks to me through numbers. And I believe it was eight eleven a.m. that morning, and that's um, my son died eight eleven, twenty fourteen. Um, I believe the Holy Spirit was nudging me to forgive him face-to-face, and I personally believe, and honestly, obviously, you know, there are situations, you know, because of safety that, you know, abuse victims can't confront their abuser, and I understand that. But in my case, I believed before I'd be completely set free that I needed to face him. And I, you know, drove to uh, another part of Seattle. It's about, I don't know, half hour, 45-minute drive, and was praying the whole way, and I'm sure there was, uh, <laughs> I don't know if there was really any doubt in my mind. My amazing wife, we had prayed about it, and I, I, don't, I don't think there was any doubt. You know, I was a little nervous, but, and then I came up to his house. I think his father-in-law was there, and he, he, had, he was remarried, and um, Bruce came out on the, out of the door. I reached out to my hand. Now I don't remember if I, uh, if he reached out his hand, I don't think so, but I reached out my hand to shake his hand and just said, I, I forgive you for what happened to me as a boy, and I believe with all my heart that God was going to turn that evil into good for the saving of thousands of lives. He pretty much said that we, we lied about some of the abuse, even though he you know, was recorded, video recorded during a deposition that he had sexually abused Matt and I on, na- well, na- on national TV, too, and with Katie Couric. And um, so that, you know, I kind of expected him to say something like that, but I still saw a man, and I, interestingly enough, he's only 10 years older than I am, so it's a, kind of like an older brother. It's a very interesting dynamic. And, but I still saw a man that was very despondent and depressed and say what you want, the abuse had ruined his life. Um, even if he didn't go to prison, um, you know, the news, King 5 News had come to his door when our, our lawsuit first broke. And so he, I'm sure he was vilified in the, you know, in the neighborhood. I think a lot of people, you know, would say, you know, what, where was the justice? And, you know, first of all, we all receive justice. You know, we will all be judged one day on Judgment Day. Th- that may not come on this earth. I think it did for Bruce just in a different way. There's just there's no there's no way to describe when I said you know I forgive you and just the incredible release 
knowing that that was the right thing to do. I know it sounds preposterous in some ways, but uh, I knew at that point that God had set me free and that it was time to help set others free. One of the things, uh, if you're listening to this interview and maybe you have been through something similar to what Tom has experienced in his life, and I would recommend that you get his book, The Broken Scout. But I hope you've also noticed that the forgiveness came after a, a long journey uh, of of uh, not just um, acknowledging the abuse for the I really seems like for the first time publicly when Tom was about forty, the court case recognizing that he was one of many young people who had been abused in the system of the Boy Scouts and processing a lot of hard work, I think, went into your life and into your journey before you could get to that point of being able to see Bruce in a different way. And I'm wondering, Tom, if there's anybody that you've come across in this journey who has absolutely no indication of forgiving the abuser, what characterizes their life um, compared to where you are in your own journey. So my brother might uh, get mad at me for saying this, but I think we're, you know, we're definitely a study in contrast. But I will say, you know, he does have a lot more anger. I will say that God gave me the gift of blocking some of the trauma. I know some of the abuse victims aren't so fortunate to have that gift and my brother would be one of those, I believe. He would bring up things that I have no, no recollection of. Um, he mentioned our scout leader taking pictures of us when we were nude, sorry, but with an old-fashioned Polaroid, and I have no recollection of that whatsoever. He would mention times, you know, at Boy Scout camp when, you know, we were sexually abused separately or he would take boys into the woods separately and or where my dad was had come to the outing with Bruce and I have no recollection of that whatsoever. I mean I, I have plenty of recollections but nothing like my brother. So in fairness to my brother, um, you know, he remembers every little detail when we had to write our declarations in, during the lawsuit, his was like an essay. Of course, I'm an engineer, so it's you know it's in bullet form. And but I think um, for my brother, you know, there's probably reason. You know, it would take a lot more for him not to be angry, possibly than me. But I, I still think it it's it still goes back to the notion of, you know, if Christ can forgive the unthinkable on the cross with those that crucified him, and not that we're you know, comparing ourselves at all to that. But, and God very clearly says in the Bible, you know, I believe in Matthew, that if I, you know, we don't forgive others, um, he's not going to forgive us of our trespasses. And that's, you know, that's really a commandment. And it's impossible you know, on, on man's power, but uh, possible with God. One of the things that we've realized in our own life journey, and certainly in the many, many people that we've talked to over the years, especially Chuck with um, counseling, and you've talked about a relationship to Christ. And sometimes we can give the impression that um, come to Jesus and everything's going to be okay. And I think your journey is a picture of, because you talk about a childhood relationship with Jesus, and that did not make everything okay 
in your life. It was still hard. And yet, he is the foundation that has brought you to this point of being able to find freedom in letting go of that anger and hurt and betrayal. Speak to the one who's listening. Uh, I mean, maybe you just imagine on that person who is listening to you and saying, I will never forgive. I can't forget. I uh, will never let go of this. I want vengeance, period. So once again, I believe very much that there's purpose in our pain, that God never wastes a hurt. That's Rick Warren and, you know, purpose-driven life, that everything we go through, there's a reason. I, I believe that, you know, very much, like I said, that we're all going to suffer for Christ, and some of us will suffer more um, than others. But I believe that when we're going through these trials, through the darkness, that's when we really grow as Christians. And as hard as that is in my life, even lately, and you know, before the the Catholic Church Abuse Victims Conference, I believe I was going through a lot of spiritual warfare and. But I, I believe during the darkness, that's when there's the most most growth. And boy, as hard as it is, I, I don't want to see people stuck in the victim mentality. We need to be victors. We need to be victorious, and that's only through Christ. Um, you know, Second Corinthians twelve is a favorite of mine. You know that uh, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect through weakness. And like it or not, and I'm the last one to talk about humility, as my wife Renee would attest to, that I've struggled with pride. My <laughs> definitely for the three years I've married, been married to her in my entire life, and well, I think it's a Stuart pride that somewhat got me through, which is not, you know, my tragedies, which is not acceptable. But I think, uh, you know, when we're weakest, that's actually when we're, you know, broken. That's really when God comes in, and you know picks us up and uh, carries us through. Um, but you're right, it, it is a long journey, and it is uh, can be a lot of hard work, and it's, you know, years of uh, devotion. Um, I wanted to mention to the everybody that streams in the desert, which uh, the betters had mentioned on their CD, is, uh, has been uh, life-changing for me uh, as a devotional and um, really carried me through some really hard times after I lost Benny. What practical things would you recommend to um, a person who's listening and thinking, I, I was abused, I'm ready to, I'm ready to uh, face it, I, I, I can't live like this anymore. What would be some of the first steps for that person uh, that you would recommend and ongoing? Well, obviously, yes, the first step is to uh, break your silence um, is to tell your spouse, tell someone you trust initially, your spouse, um, a friend at church, maybe a family member, maybe not. Uh, sometimes family members can be the, the last ones that you want to tell uh, initially, and maybe some of them you can you know, never completely tell, unfortunately. So I think that's the, that's the first part. Boy, don't wait till you're 40. Don't wait till you're 50. I, I know it, it's excruciating to go through childhood sexual abuse, and even there's adults that go through it. But you know, if there's any possible way to uh, break your silence earlier, because it just eats at you, and 
it does affect every decision uh, that you make. So I think that's the first step. And, you know, I believe counseling, you know, Christian counselor, obviously my counselor has been God. I have gone through counseling. I was fortunate, you know, to go through more counseling with the lawsuit, even though, you know, some of that was torturous with the Boy Scout psychologist. But I, once again, they're, they're, they're bound, you know, by their profession not to say anything. So if you can find a, you know, reputable Christian counselor to really bury your soul, I don't know about, you know, some of these therapies that recover memories. For me personally, that probably is not a good idea. And, you know, if you have, you know, nightmares, that's, uh, I have a very set sleep routine and it's, it's hard the first night in a strange place. Typically, I think in our hotel the first night I had, you know, my amazing wife, I'm sorry, she's had to put up with a lot in that area. I do believe that, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, forgiveness is, is the key in your healing journey, but it does take time and you have to let go of it little by little, maybe a forgiveness seminar. And once again, I, I think being in, you know, for believers, you know, especially being in the Word is absolutely life-changing. It's hard at first. I know the betters talked about after losing Mark, their uh, devotion times and with Scripture, it's, it's really hard at first after you go through tragedy. But uh, I, I think it does get easier over time. I think it's interesting. It's been three years since my son passed away and you know, God, I, I think I've turned the corner a little bit, and it's like you almost don't want to turn the corner sometimes because it's like you, you know, you think you're not missing that person as much, or you still want to honor their memory. And if you turn the corner and don't think about them as much, that you're dishonoring them in some ways. And honestly, that has been one of the hardest things for me um, because Benny and I were inseparable. I will never be that close with a man, a, a boy, ever. I, I'm not very close to my dad, and, um, you know, we love all of, you know, all of our children. We're very close with all of them, but there's always one that you're, I hate to say, a touch closer with, and um, so that, it, you know, it's, it's comfort, and I know what Chuck said, you know, with the, well, you ch chopping wood, oh, I can recite the CD by heart that, you know, the man that lost a child, you know, his child, and Chuck was struggling, and, you know, he said that it will get better. And, um, but, you know, it does take time, but I, I believe you, you know, you will get there. And I think it's important to take care of yourself as far as sleep and exercise and eating right and just basic things, because it's so easy to go into that, that hole of depression. And, uh, you know, that's not helping anybody. What advice do you have for parents who want their children to have mentors in their lives? You know, they want to expose their children to older people who are going to help, help them raise their children. What do they need to be careful of? Well, I think there's quite a few red flags for predators, pedophiles. I know in my case uh, with Bruce and the Boy Scouts, uh, he was unmarried. He didn't have a son in the organization. He was, he was unemployed at times. I think, too, you have to be very careful of others that, uh, you know, want to spend time with your, you know, excessive time with your children one-on-one. -on -one. You know, my advice, well, with the Boy Scouts, I, I honestly believe that dads should 
go on every camp out with their boys. I, I don't believe that uh, parents should drop off their boys uh, with the Boy Scouts. I think overnights is potentially very dangerous. Uh, personally, I would not allow my kids under the age of, I don't know what age, 16 maybe, to uh, even go overnight to uh, other friends' houses. I know that sounds kind of extreme, but I don't think we really know we really know people as much as we think we do. I know there was a Boy Scout troop in Arkansas that, uh, you know, was a brother-in-law. He was a scout master, lived next door, would go through the window and abuse his, um, well, I guess nephews. And uh, one of them ended up committing suicide. I think parents need to be very wary. And, uh, you know, hopefully this is going to open the eyes of parents and uh, that this is a very real problem in, uh, in America and all over the world, and um, that uh, we need to be very, uh, very cautious. It's interesting listening to you talk. I'm looking at an adult man right now who's been through a lot in his life, cancer and the abuse, obviously, and the marital issues that you had to face. And I'm reviewing my almost five decades now of ministry where I have had the opportunity to talk to men and women who were abused as children. And it's like peeling an onion when you don't know that it happened to them, when you, the counselor, do not know that you're sitting there with someone who was sexually abused as a child and you're dealing with the presentation problem, which is their marriage. Uh, I learned over the years that uh, when young girls are abused, uh, they grow with a distorted view of what sex is supposed to be in their marriage. And they either become sexually frigid on one extreme or sexually promiscuous on the other extreme because they don't have any idea of what normal is. Uh, it's questions like that that layer by layer we have to peel away before we finally hear them say, yes, I was abused sexually as a child. And then they, they you, you begin to build from there. I'm saying all of that to ask you this question. As a man sitting here now has had to work through a lot, uh, I would imagine you're still working through a lot and that there are still flashbacks uh, or PTSD, as the soldiers would call it. And I'm going to ask you this question. Are you completely healed now or do you still struggle with things like depression and anger and grief and does it affect your marriage in any way? Has it in the past affected your marriage in any way? Speak to us as an adult now who comes uh, with baggage. You come with brokenness. Uh, things that happen to you from 8 to 18 are unspeakable. And here you are. Uh, you've been through a lot. You've been through court cases. I'm sure all this had to become public you have a brother who also was abused. You have a mother who just wasn't there for you. And you've been married uh, now. Your marriages have been affected. You mentioned earlier that your adult children were affected by, uh, by the divorces. All this baggage is what I'm, I'm talking about. How are you sitting there right now knowing this resource is going all over the place and telling this story, this incredible story of healing, when the elephant in the room is, are you really healed? Uh, or has this affected you in terms of your own marriage, 
in terms of uh, the battles that you have with depression, grief, etc.? I think God has given me a lot of coping mechanisms uh, that have carried me throughout my whole life. Obviously, like I said, for me, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, praying, just talking to God, you know, as my friend. I was very fortunate to uh, have a lot of time to do that as a child because I was alone a lot. Obviously, as an adult, I've continued that. I still carve out a lot of time um, for devotion, and not that I'm, you know, a Billy Graham or anything, but I think it's that that intimate relationship with Christ that's uh, really saved my life. I'm pretty much at peace with my childhood. I do, you know, still have nightmares to this day of the abuse with the gun. Um, I have a very rigid sleep routine that's pretty much started, you know, after I broke my silence when I was 40. Um, it's interesting and in looking back on my first marriage that I didn't really have those sleep issues because the trauma was still, you know, buried deep inside of me. I have obviously dealt with a lot of different trials and tragedies in my life. Um, I still think the, over, the overall theme of my life that I really cling to is, is God turning evil into good. I was able to see that, you know, through the Boy Scouts, our lawsuit, um, that our, you know, my childhood, um, that God would turn evil into good. I believe very much in the concept of beauty, beauty from ashes, Isaiah 61, and uh, also with uh, my, the loss of my son, and um, he was cremated. I carry his ashes around my neck, and God has actually saved um, other boys, men, from drug addiction because of his death. Um, I think my wife, Renee, mentioned, you know, my perfectionistic tendencies. I think when your life is so out of control as a child, then as an adult, you tend to, you know, try to be in control of, you know, these little things that you can be. But once again, God's in control of everything. But I, I still have, I guess I have routines, you know, I'm an engineer. We're very dysfunctional anyway. OCD, you know, and routines can be, you know, good to a point. I think my relationship with God has changed a lot. I, you know, I would, <laughs> I'm sure it doesn't surprise you for an engineer, but I would have, you know, 30 minutes or 45 minutes, almost time my devotions. And, but I think it can become very robotic and not completely genuine. And I think it's when you go into the darkness and I know the betters have been through it, you know, more than anybody. That's when God really gets your attention, and that's when you're on your knees, and you just you have to throw everything out and cling to this extraordinary God. That's when you're desperate. And you know, the day before Benny died, our you know pastor had preached. You know, he was a chaplain, and he said, "You don't want me ever knocking at your door." Because he had to, you know, tell parents that they lost children and that I lost Benny the next day. And, you know, if you had told me that day, August 10th, that I would lose Benny August 11th, and I, I the better CD is just absolutely life changing for me. I can probably recite it. But if you had told me the day before Benny died that I would survive, I, I would say no. And I think that's what Chuck mentioned on the CD. 
And uh, but it's not about it's not about me. And that's when you really find how powerful God is is during these tragedies that you think you could never in a million years make it through. Um, that He does carry you through those those times of darkness. Um, I think is that you know, like I said, my mother wound was very deep. I think, interestingly enough, my relationship with women has been, you know, one of the most complex areas for me in that, you know, I've been very, I'm very needy. Hopefully I'm a little better with Renee. Renee has just been extraordinary. Um, I would have never made it emotionally. It's not like I would have committed suicide after losing Benny, but um, I would have never made it emotionally as well as I have without Renee. And uh, you know, I thank God for her every day, um, especially after losing Benny. But she's really kicked my behind in a couple areas. I think the Holy Spirit working through her. <laughs> and uh, as far as sarcasm, I, I think sarcasm, not I think sarcasm was a way of dealing with a lot of this tragedy, actually, that I would um, Make jokes out of things, or and that I, you know, that I can be very judgmental. God has really kicked my butt in that area, and uh, I, you know, it's tragic how many things we pick up from our childhood, especially if we have a very black and white childhood, very abusive. Um, you know, we be, we can very easily become byproducts of our parents, and so I've worked really hard um, to get away from that. Um, I think, uh, fortunately, you know, I would say sexually, uh, I've been very, very gifted, uh, you know, by God that I never got into pornography. I don't have any weird issues in that area, I would say, with, you know, my first two wives or Renee. And God has really blessed me and protected me in a lot of ways that, uh, uh, like I said, Maybe he has another victims um, because of my blocked memories. I remember plenty, just enough that I, you know, can really sympathize with other victims. This man Cliff in uh, Pennsylvania that read our book. He was sexually abused for a decade by his foster mom and dad. He read the book, reached out to me and Renee. Pretty much broke his silence, told me things that he'd never told anybody. I have a Benny bear, a teddy bear that I sleep with in honor of you know memory of my younger son Benny and he also had a bear when he was a boy that was destroyed and I sent him uh, another teddy bear and uh, he just texted me today and he wasn't able to come to the the snap the survivors conference but uh, because of PTSD issues but uh, this teddy bear is everything to him and he mentioned I was a father to him that I was a father he never had and Quite frankly, that makes, if that's the only reason that I went through a decade of sexual abuse at gunpoint, that's good enough for me, um, that God would um, bring him into my life and others and help them break their silence. And to me, that's the greatest joy and blessing on this earth. The highest calling is to help break others free of, you know, from bondage. It's Isaiah 61, um, healing the brokenhearted, setting the captives free, releasing the prisoners from darkness, and bringing beauty from ashes, and I'm just trying to be a servant. And so I've been very, very fortunate. And yes, it's been amazing. I was involved in a national lawsuit. My amazing wife you know, wrote this national book, and so I've, 
I have been extremely blessed um, to uh, suffer for Christ in a lot of ways. One of the challenges we have uh, with our help and hope resources is that we know that we're, we're just kind of touching the tip of the iceberg of enormous pain and enormous trauma, and especially, Tom, with your story. And I know that it's multifaceted with so many different areas that you've experienced um, great grief. But um, those of you who are listening, we want you to know that Tom is available to help broken people. And if you would like to get in touch with him, you can uh, you can uh, check our website uh, where we are going to have a link to his book as well as his website. But also, you can go there right now to thebrokenscout.com. That's thebrokenscout.com. And I can tell you that uh, you will get a response immediately because when I reached out to you, Tom, I heard from you and Renee immediately. So I know that you'll respond to a broken heart even faster. Mark Inc. Ministries exists for the purpose of offering help and hope to hurting people. And in this interview, I know you have heard through the pain the fact of hope, the fact of help. And the, the fact that it is going to get better. And we trust that you will allow this particular resource to bless and encourage you in your struggle, especially those of you who have had to face sexual abuse in your life, maybe as a child or even as an adult, to be able to face it with the confidence that God is going to give you all the resources you need to bring the healing into your heart that you also need. And that's why we're here. That's why Mark Inc. exists. And we'd like to be of further help to you to show you the pathway to securing that relationship with Christ that is so critical, to trust in Him and Him alone for your salvation and to find in Him the hope of the gospel that there is good news even amidst all of the bad news in your life, that God indeed is the blessed controller of all things, sovereign over all things, and has allowed all things painful in your life to be filtered through his hands first for a reason, for a purpose, that you might trust him as Savior and Lord. We want to be of help to you. I want to be able to give you the kind of direction you need with a variety of resources that we have on sexual abuse I want to thank Tom for coming today and sharing so beautifully the, uh, the struggles, the, the, the real struggles, the raw struggles that uh, he had to em- embrace and bear, even to the point where he is now able to use his pain and his sorrow as a platform to help others, particularly those of you who have been sexually abused. If Mark Inc. can be of help to you, just visit us on the web at markinc.org. That's M-A-R-K-I-N-C dot org. And I'm going to ask my wife, Sharon, if she would close this resource with prayer. Father, thank you uh, for the way that you bring people together. We thank you for the connection that we have with Tom and Renee and for the shared pain that we have for longing for our sons, for Benny and for Mark. And we thank you, Lord, that you will make all things beautiful in your time and that one day uh, all of this will be 
gone. Uh, All the sorrow will be gone and the tears will be gone. I thank you for the help and hope that we've heard about today through Tom's story, that you can make beauty from ashes, and you do, and that there are many lives that will be transformed because of Tom's willingness to be vulnerable and to share his story with the purpose of offering help and hope. We pray, Father, for that one person who is listening who is desperately holding on by their fingernails and that what they have heard today will give them the strength and the courage to take the next step toward uh, leaning into the pain of the abuse in their lives and finding the help that is going to encourage them to walk with purpose and in peace. In your name I pray. Amen.